Father in heaven, King of glory, Lord of the nations, thank you for your great gift of Jesus Christ, your Son. What an incredible gospel. What a wondrous story. It's no wonder that all of heaven exploded. Glory to God in the highest. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for the opportunity that we have to be together this morning and to celebrate together. We pray for the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we go to yet another one of the songs of Christmas. Encourage us in our faith, we pray, and help us to leave from this place singing glory to God, because indeed you are worthy to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've already read the scripture, both two Christmas passages, the story of the birth of Christ and then what happened in the fields of Bethlehem afterwards. And the second passage, Luke 2, verse 14, is basically our text. That's the passage that we're going to deal with this morning. So if you want to have that open uh, before you, uh, in the Pew Bibles, that would be helpful. I don't have the page number at this particular point. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. 291? 1591. I should have known this. New Testament. 1591 in your Pew Bibles. Brothers and sisters in Christ, an important ingredient in the Christmas story is the spirit world or more specifically, the angels. Somehow Christmas without angels wouldn't really be Christmas, we think. So think of the hymns that we have been singing or that we're going to be singing. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Angels we have heard on high, singing sweetly through the night. Angels from the realms of glory wing your flight o'er all the earth. What child is this whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? That's only a few. You could probably come up with other Christmas carols that have references to angels. Many a carol, many a Christmas card, Christmas art, pageants, Christmas programs all include angels. And certainly at this time of the year, the angels seem to get extra attention, and why not? After all, they do seem to provide some of the excitement in the story, not only as they bring their message of great joy, first of all to Zechariah, and then to Mary, and then to the shepherds, but also as their glorias explode over the plains of Bethlehem. And so this morning, as we continue the series of sermons that we've been dealing with here in the church throughout Advent, looking at the songs of Christmas, we're going to pay particular attention to the angels and to the song that they sang to the shepherds, as recorded in Luke 2, verse 14. But before we look at the song, let me say a few things about angels. Who or what are angels? Those who take the time to do such research tell us that there are 300 references to angels 
throughout the Bible. They often merely appear, announce, praise the Lord, and then leave again. And in the passage we read this morning, like many of the passages in the Bible, we're not told what the angels looked like or what they sounded like or even that they sang. We are somehow convinced that surely they sang in those skies over Bethlehem, but we're not told actually that they sang. There's no reference to that fact. Actually, the Bible considers all these and many sorts of other details about angels as unimportant. But while the Bible considers them unimportant, people have tried to fill in the blanks through art and poetry and songs and and legends and so on. And by these means, people have added all sorts of things to make angels fit our idea of what an angel should look like. So many of the angels depicted by art or cartoons or in plays are depicted as cute and cuddly and fluffy and clean and white-robed creatures who wear great broad smiles and who usually wear wings. The cutest angels, of course, are the baby angels. And these same angels are drawn, painted, and spoken of in terms that only make us happy. Angels are most often depicted as beings that could not and would not hurt a fly. They're often thought of as meek and mild in personality. They're congenial, and their only message is, God loves you. But those are all man-made pictures and images. And we ought to be careful anytime we make a model of something in a, sphere, in a sphere of reality which is very different from ours and then declare that our picture, that our picture is the way things are. How do you picture the spirit world, another dimension of reality? So I think it's pretty safe to say that angels are probably not cute, cuddly, fluffy little babies with wings. And as for the wings with which we outfit every angel, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 2, 6, and, uh, 6 chapter, chapter 6, verse 2 and 6, that only the seraphim, a particular order of angels, have wings. But then they don't have two wings, but six, two covering the face, two covering their feet, and two for the speedy execution of God's commands. And one can only wonder how symbolic all that language really is. And the seraphim are found around the throne of God, singing his praises and always ready to obey his commands. For the rest, we're not told that the other orders of angels have wings. Anyway, throughout the well-known stories of Luke 1 and 2, we see that the angels act as messengers of God. That's what angels were created to do, among other things. Oh, yes, angels are created beings. God made them like he made us, like he made the earth and like he made everything else. And God made them with a very specific purpose, to carry out his will, to serve him, to honor him. They're not eternal beings. But they're created beings who are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, we read in Hebrews 1, verse 14. 
And in Luke 1 and 2 in the Christmas story, we note very specifically how they serve those who will inherit salvation. And each time an angel is mentioned in Luke 1 and 2, one cannot help but notice that the angel suddenly appeared before the people as if out of thin air. He suddenly appeared before Zechariah in the temple. He suddenly appeared to Mary. He suddenly showed, showed up before the shepherds. They never knocked before coming. They didn't ask to be allowed into the people's presence. They didn't build a relationship with the folks they were sent to, nor did they somehow manage to work themselves into the local community like many a movie angel tends to do. Rather, they suddenly appeared. This in itself tells us something about what angels are like. They're not divine. They're not God or a part of God. But they're also not human. That's important for us to understand because sometimes people talk about human beings earning their wings or they comfort those who mourn at the time of the death of a family member by suggesting that the dead family member has become an angel. It's probably well meant, but it's not true and really doesn't provide much comfort since angels are a different created order than human beings. Psalm 8 confesses that we are made a little lower than the heavenly beings, and yet later on in the Scriptures, we are told that with Christ we will rule over the angels. And so angels are not humans, and humans are not angels, and they never will be. Angels and people have also been given different dwelling places. People have been given the earth to inhabit. The angels dwell in the presence of the Lord God. And because they do, as a result, each time the angels appear in Luke 1 and 2, the shepherds, the people they appear to, were, were filled with fear. And they would tremble. The shepherds were terrified. Or as an older version of the Bible put it, they were sore afraid. That is to say, it hurt to see the angels. Their hearts must have pounded wildly. They must have become sweaty, and maybe even their legs gave way in the presence of a being not normally seen around town. The people were filled with pain, and they were filled with fear, basically because upon recognizing the heavenly beings, they were overcome by their mortality, by their sinfulness, by their humanity, their guilt. This was a heavenly presence before them and the perfection of such a being and their holy God glorifying radiance only drove home to the people how weak and sinful, how mortal they were. And so it's wonderful that each time after the registration of fear in Luke 2, the angel would tell the person, don't be afraid. In effect, the angel would tell the person, don't, don't worry, I haven't come to carry out God's justice or punishment for sin, which you're probably expecting me to do. On the contrary, I have come to make an announcement about the way in which the Lord is going to justify his, satisfy his justice. The angels were not sent to magnify human weakness and sinfulness. But the angels came to announce the coming of the one who was to carry humanity's guilt 
and sin on his shoulders. They came to announce the coming of the Savior. In this respect, Gabriel and the angel who spoke to the shepherds had a most beautiful message to relay to the earth for God. In the Christmas story, we are, they are clearly the heralds, clearly the proclaimers to the human race of the birth of Jesus. They were like the heralds of long ago who would go ahead of a royal entourage proclaiming, the king is coming, prepare the way, get ready to bow before him. Well, after the angel had delivered his message to the shepherd, this time the announcement was not one of he is coming, but now it is one of he is here, the king is here, he is born in Bethlehem. After he makes that announcement, suddenly there appeared in the, with the angel an entire army of angels. It must have been an incredible sight in the midst of the darkness of the night that suddenly the sky is all lit up, an army of angels. And in their praise, in their what we're going to call a song, they confirmed the message just delivered and they confirmed the message delivered by Gabriel many months earlier. Glory to God in the highest, they say. It's true, Christ has been born. And because of this great redemptive event, all we can say is glory to God in the highest. So need to know that God did not send Jesus for the angels. God sent Jesus for sinners, for the likes of you and the likes of me. God sent Jesus to save the fallen human race of which we are but a small part. And we can only assume that the angels who were not party to God's plans must have nonetheless stood by in incredible awe and wonder as they watched the Prince of Glory give up the glory and the splendor of heaven, which they knew everything about, to be born as a poor human infant of poor human parents in a poor stall, in a poor town, in a poor country, in a destroyed world. They must have stood in awe and marveled at God's amazing love for humankind an ordered heaven and the king of glory going down and becoming part of this messed up, black, dark world. How amazing that is. The lengths that the Lord went through for his people caused the angels to shout for joy and express that in an outpouring of adoration such as we find it in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest. The angels, these heavenly servants, were thrilled and filled with praise when they saw the self-giving, self-sacrificing purpose of Jesus' birth. The Apostle Paul, reflecting on God's love for, his, for us in Christ Jesus, said something similar in 2 Corinthians 8. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
The angels, like they were created to do, gave God all the glory and all the praise. Much like Mary, they began with, Magnify the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. That's really where we need to begin, too, each and every day. God must receive the glory. He must come first. Jesus even taught us about that in the law. Love God above all and then your neighbor as yourself. He teaches the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. Give me this day our daily bread. No, no. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then you follow with your own needs. Elsewhere, Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. Or when you serve the Lord first, he will care for all your needs. That's where the angels began. Glory to God in the highest, they said. That which God did in the sending of Jesus Christ, that which Jesus did in giving up the glory and splendor of heaven is so wondrous, wondrous, so holy, so awesome. It made and continues to make the very hosts of heaven break forth in joy and praise before they do or before they say anything else. And then if you notice from verse 14, the glory and praise is followed by that statement, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The order is important here because there cannot be peace, there cannot be shalom, total restoration, perfection, an end to all war and fighting and violence and alienation and family feuds and so on on earth until there has first been an understanding of whom the Lord is, and of what that Lord has done for this sin-filled world. John Lennon dared us to imagine that there would be no heaven and no religion too. But the Bible would have us know that there cannot be peace on earth in the sense for which we pray until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The message of peace was not only unique, but it must have been one that filled the shepherds with wonder because peace is something people have dreamed about and prayed for since the fall into sin. And the way this text is written is significant because unlike it's often interpreted, note the angels didn't say that with the coming of Jesus now all wars would be finished or all violence would be done, at least immediately, they didn't say that with the coming of Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world would lay down their weapons and there would be no more violence or injustice. Rather, the peace to come would be on those on whom God's favor rests. That's an interesting choice of words. The angels declared that the peace was going to come to those whom the Father had given to the Son, this Son who was just born, on those who love the Lord. So basically, peace is for the elect of God. When our sin has been removed and our debt paid, then and only then can there be peace. 
a renewed relationship with the Father, as we read about in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, only if God does something about our messed up, sinful, dark condition, only if He does something about it can there be true peace. And now with the birth of Jesus, the angels pronounce peace upon God's people because God did something about our condition. He sent his Son. And the peace that the angels spoke about would be a peace that would eventually be fulfilled in the return of Christ because that's the next step in the plan of salvation, the return of Christ. And when all things will be made new, what a message. What a song. And then with the notes of pray, confirmation and praise still lingering, the angels disappeared from the shepherd's sight. That doesn't mean the praise stopped. On the contrary, their praise continued as we read in the book of Revelation. For not only are they ministering spirits to people, but they're also the heavenly praise team, worshiping and glorifying the Lord round the clock. That's something that's always interested me, always been of interest to me, to note that in the Orthodox Church, such as in the Serbian Orthodox Church just up the road at the corner of Ottawa and Fisher Holman, the thinking is that whenever you come to worship, you don't start worship. You don't begin at a certain point and end at a certain point. What you're doing is you're joining in the eternal, ongoing, everlasting praise of the King. Also why you stand in a lot of those churches the whole time. Because when you're in the presence of the king, you stand. You don't sit. But the praise goes on and on and on and on. And so when you come to church, you just join that eternal praise for a little bit. And then you leave again. And then you come back and you join it again. Fascinating concept. Wonderful thought. Well, the angels sang their praise and their glory. The shepherds were touched and affected and then they went to Bethlehem to check out the story. And it was indeed just as the angels had said. There was Mary, there was Joseph, and there was the babe lying in the manger. And then they told everyone they encountered what they had experienced, and people were amazed. I hope that we're still amazed today. And then the shepherds returned to the fields glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And I like to think that they were singing all the way home, glory to God, glory to God in the highest. They weren't singing 214, that song in the hymn book, because that hadn't been written yet. But some of us like to think that that's probably the song that they sang all the time. We're going to close the service with that today. They sang... And they sang, and they enjoyed, they joined that heavenly host. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. What else can you really do when you're confronted with the gospel of Christmas? Amen.